Hello and welcome to Understanding Cyber with Toby and Tom. Today we are understanding cryptography or crypto. My dictionary says that the word cryptography comes from ancient Greek and means secret, hidden writing. <laughs> so I'm guessing that this episode is something to do with secret messages, but as Tom prepped it, I'm, I'm not really sure yet. I'm going on a journey. So Tom, what are we going to understand today? And what a journey it's going to be, Toby. Um, th- thank you. As you can probably tell, I'm pretty excited about this because this is our first two-part podcast. Apart from the internet one. Apart from the internet. Oh, yeah, that was, wasn't it? Ah, I barely started speaking. I'm already lying to our listeners. This is our second two-part podcast. Anyway, so there's a couple of reasons I've broken this into two parts. Firstly, it's a big topic. and We don't want to overwhelm or confuse people by squashing it into one episode. And secondly, the two episodes themselves have a very different focus. Before we begin, Toby, what do we do here at Understanding Cyber? We help people and businesses actually understand what these cyber things mean for them in their world. Exactly. So rather than start talking about cryptography and go down lots of weird rabbit holes and obscure concepts, I've tried to keep the entire discussion relevant. So relevant to the average computer, mobile phone or internet user and relevant to any business professional who relies on those types of things for their work. Awesome. Okay, so we're doing the first part today. What are we going to cover in the first part and what's in the second one? So talking about cryptography, as you said, secret hidden writing. Nice to know that you've got a Greek dictionary or something. I don't know what's going on there. Got Google. Um, You've got Google. (laughs) Even better. So in simple terms, this is how we protect our sensitive data from third parties. By third parties, I mean anyone who may want to steal our data, to change our data, or even make that data seem as if it originally belonged to somebody else. We'll go into more of that later, but for today's intro, I will cover... Motivation, first of all. I'm going to start with a discussion about secrets, what they are, what they mean, um, what we think about when we try and keep something secret or when we share a secret. We're then going to focus ourselves on encryption. Um, Encryption is a fundamental part of cryptography. It's something we've mentioned in previous episodes, but it's the part that really helps us keep our secrets secret. We'll then talk about why cryptography, especially encryption, is so important in terms of our digital data. So things like computers, smartphones, the internet, all that good stuff, it's really important. We'll then look at what it actually looks like. So as someone who uses mobile devices, laptops, cloud services, internet services, what does encryption look like to you? Okay, so that sounds like a pretty thorough overview in part one. What's the second part going to have in it? So in part one, we'll talk about how encryption works, but we'll gloss over the details. It'll seem a little bit like it's a sort of magical concept that just kind of works. But for part two, we'll go further into encryption. We'll also go into some of the other aspects of digital security that cryptography can help us with. So we'll cover things like asymmetric encryption, digital signatures, and digital certificates. These things aren't obscure bits of cryptography. I know they sound it, but they're not. They are actually the real building blocks of digital security. Together, put them together properly, they make up this sort of security ecosystem that keeps our data secure on the internet and also elsewhere. Every time you enter your smartphone passcode, make an online purchase, access your emails, visit your online bank, or even just browse your favourite websites, some form of cryptography is taking place silently in the background to make sure that all of those things are secure. Part two is where we explain how this works and how it all actually fits together in like 20 minutes. Yeah, we've already lied with the whole 10 minute podcast thing that we started out with, haven't we? (laughs) Yeah, we've gone way over. Yeah, in a short period, we all describe it. Okay, so in the interest of getting started, is there anything else that we need before we start you want to explain? So first thing, yes, 
one other thing rather yes i love maths toby you probably love maths too yeah uh, you should do some people hate maths though and that's totally fair cryptography generally involves a lot of maths here at understanding cyber as you said toby we're all about explaining why these things are important to you or your business and we're going to do that without any maths so before anyone panics or switches off you have my word no maths in either of these episodes just plain simple language happy with that toby you promise because as much as i half love maths I, I only really love it when a computer does it for me and i don't actually have to understand it myself so you promise no maths I absolutely promise, no maths. It was taught to me at one very early stage without any maths. It's doable. We can do this. Cool. Okay, um, let's go then. Okay, right. So first things first, Toby, do you have any secrets, things you wouldn't want strangers or random people to find out about you? Mm, no. Well, n- nothing nothing bad, nothing weird, um, by my definition of weird. But no, I, I don't want strangers to see my family photos, um, any personal communications I've got, my bank details, or anything that my business holds, like client um, details or client-sensitive stuff. So yeah, I've got things I want to protect. Yes, same here. There are all sorts of personal things I wouldn't want people to know or to, to have access to. Uh, my bank details, my Amazon password, the contents of my email inbox, instant messages I send to, to family and friends. These are sensitive things, sensitive data that if someone nasty had access to, they could cause us harm. Invading our privacy, stealing our money, or even stealing our identity. So next one then, Toby, I need you to give this some real thought, okay? What would need to be in place for you to share one of those secrets? with someone you trust so first of all i need to know that person i I need to have a reason to trust them with my secret um so i got i I need to know them i need to trust them i guess that could be based on my previous experience or relationship with that person or being introduced to them some kind of way of knowing to trust that person and then when i share the secret with them i need to be confident of a few things first that I'm sharing it to them. So, Tom, if I'm going to tell you a secret, I need to be sure that I'm telling you, not a pretend Tom. I need to be able to share it in a way that they won't be only them that gets it. I don't want a bystander to overhear my secret or intercept it when I'm giving it to you. Great. That's exactly it. Yeah. So, in summary, you want to trust this person. You want to be sure you're definitely sharing the secret with them and only with them. Does that sound fair? Yeah, I think so. Great. So there are really important concepts that we can pull out of what you just said. And these are like the, f- the fundamentals of why cryptography is even, is even a thing, why it's important to us. The first one you mentioned was trust. Now, we, we know what's meant by trust. It's a really important concept. We might even do a whole episode on it, but we won't dwell on it. Trust. The next one is this idea of being sure of whom you're speaking to. So how do you do this, let's say, face to face? Well, it's easy. I, I look at you and go, that's Tom. I recognise him. I'm happy with who that is. Yeah, exactly. And so what if I was at the end of a phone? How do you know it's me? So slightly less reliable, but I might recognise your voice. I've probably got your phone number stored in my phone. So there's things I'd recognise there. Yeah, absolutely. And what if then if you can't see them or hear them, but you can talk to them, say, over an instant message chat, how would you then work out who's at the other end and if it was the person you really thought it was? So if I didn't have any knowledge about it being there, it wasn't like a safe WhatsApp conversation about I've got your phone number already. I suppose I'd have to find somewhere verifying you are. So maybe ask a question that I know only you know the answer to. A bit like my bank or my OT help desk does. They ask me for a secret question answer or something like that, or a password I've got, my first pet, or I could ask you something like, that, like what's your favourite episode of Understanding Cyber? And I know yours is ransomware. 
It is. That's right. Yeah, it's probably about to be this one, though, but yes. <laughs> um, yeah, those are, those are really good examples. Yeah, things like mother's maiden name. So this whole concept of proving who someone is is known as entity authentication. This is the idea that where someone proves to you that they are who they say they are, whether it's their physical appearance, their voice pattern, or some sort of private knowledge. If you want to share secrets, we always need some sort of proof of who we're sharing it with. Cool. So authentication, I think we mentioned a couple of times in our last episode and didn't go into it, so it's nice to have that wrapped up. And just to confirm what I've heard, is the trust and the proof of identity are the two things we've got so far. So trust and proof of identity. What's the last one? Yeah, the final one you mentioned was about ensuring that no one else is listening, and this is where it gets really interesting. In cybersecurity, we rarely assume this is possible, so we have to think differently. We, we actually assume that someone is listening. We just take it as a given. Someone is listening to everything we're saying and communicating. So the problem now is that we have to ensure the secret that we share with the person we trust we share it with them, but we do it in a way that anyone listening can't capture that secret. That's not to say they can't see the secret transfer between us, but we must guarantee that they can't actually make sense of it. So trust, identity, and keeping the message secret and being listened to. So we've got those three concepts. How on earth do we now do that? How do we make that happen? Well, this is where we introduce encryption. So at a basic level, encryption is a way to protect data, to protect our secrets, and to, to help us share them securely. As a mechanism, because it is a mechanism, encryption takes data, in, in this case your special secret, and protects it in a way that ensures it's only visible to the people you want to share it with. Why are we concerned with encryption on understanding cyber? Well, as we'll come back to, the internet relies on us sharing secrets with people we trust. Whether it's passwords, bank details, emails, credit card numbers, financial transactions, medical data, people and businesses rely on electronic communications and the internet every day to share this stuff between them. We must do that securely, and encryption is how we do it. Encryption secures digital data. Awesome. Okay, so you, when you say digital data, what we're thinking about here is computer data, basically like the ones and zeros, the ones and zeros we never see, but they go down the telephone wires or whatever. That's them on the smartphones, tablets, laptops that we use to communicate and operate and just exist nowadays. Yeah, exactly. And that's a really good point. So when we talk about digital data here, the term actually applies to a lot of things. Um, but if it helps us today, just think of it as the stuff that makes up your documents, your pictures, your movies, emails, instant messages, online video streams, uh, your video calls, and a whole host of other things, like the day-to-day, -day, as you said, ones and zeros that, that make up computer uh, information, computer data. I'm not talking about satellite data or digital radios. They do use encryption too, but just think of this as computer data. And I, I suggest now that encryption protects data in a way that ensures that it's only visible to the people you want to share this with. We discussed this in one of our really early episodes. Toby, can you remind us what this concept is called? Or the, the slightly weirdly named holy trinity of security, <laughs> of confidentiality, integrity and availability, the CIA. So this, this is confidentiality, I take it, and it's the idea that only the authorised people, the person you want to share your secret with, can access your data or your secret. That's exactly it. So yeah, well done. Bonus marks, well done. Um, oh, yes, don't, don't give those out often. We all know what confidentiality means as a word, and in information security or in cybersecurity, it is a very formal term, but it means the same thing. It means the intuitive meaning. Encryption is great at providing data confidentiality. Now, encryption is interesting because it doesn't form like a, a protective wrapper around the data. For example, in the way, the way you might use a safe to protect your money. Encryption itself is a process that is applied to the data itself. 
So does it kind of like scramble all the data up then? Yeah, it's a little bit like scrambling it. And this is the kind of where the, the magic wand gets weighed and we say it just kind of works. But we can get into a little bit about how it works now then. Okay, but no maths, yeah? No maths, no maths. I promise no maths, so this is actually going to be really easy. So the recipe for encryption is really simple. You have two ingredients. The data that you want to encrypt, so the, the, the sensitive data that you want to protect, and a key. You take the data, you take the key, you stick them into what's called an encryption algorithm. And you get chocolate ice cream? No. Oh, okay, so um, you're getting at the other end, but what's this encryption algorithm that you're sticking those that key and that um, data into? The encryption algorithm is, is a set of rules and procedures. It's very much like a recipe. An algorithm basically breaks up the data, combines it with the key, really mixes it up in such a way that the end result is like a scrambled version of the original, but it bears no discernible relationship to it. Cool. So the data and the key go into the algorithm and out pops a bundle of data that looks nothing like the original. So it's just shifted around, jobbled up, and it is totally unrecognisable. That's it. The whole idea is that you shouldn't be able to look at the output and be able to work out what the input was or what the key was. We don't want to go into too much depth. It's, it's definitely fair to leave it at that. Data in plus a key gives data out. The output looks, or should look, totally random and should bear no resemblance to the input. So we're not just like getting the data and putting like a fake painting in front of it to hide it. People can see that there's data there still, and they know it's there. It's just the encryption is hides the meaning of the data so people can't understand what's packaged up in that data. They can no longer tell it's a picture of me and my pet cat, Tiddles. Absolutely, yeah. Of course, why on earth would you want people seeing that? Yeah. That, so there are, you're right, there are methods for hiding data, for example, in, in pictures. But we won't cover that here. Encryption uses a key to jumble up some data, so its meaning is unknown to anyone who doesn't have the key. And like we said before, they will see the secret, or they may see the secret being transferred between people, but they can't get the meaning of it. So once I've got my encrypted data, I take it I could send it to someone else. And if they've got the key, they can do the magic recipe and get it the picture of me and Tiddles back out the other side. That's it. It's as simple, it's as simple he says in air quotes, as that. They stick the encrypted data and the key into either the same algorithm or something very, very similar and out pops the original data that you encrypted. Decryption with the key versus the encryption and the data is back to its original form. So I take it, you, you mentioned an algorithm and a key, I take it's pretty important to use good ones there. You don't want to use some shonky thing made in a shed. Yeah, as they say in, in cybersecurity, don't roll your own crypt, so don't make it up yourself. A weak key or a weak algorithm means that the output is not as secure as you think. We won't cover it here, but there are loads of publicly available algorithms, so you don't need to design your own. Uh, and there are plenty of ways to select strong keys for them. Just as I mentioned, you may come across one called AES, Advanced Encryption Standard. That's one of the most well-known ones and often touted by security products as military-grade encryption. It's true, it's used by the military, but don't get excited, anyone can use it. In fact, you probably use it every day and you don't even realise. So. so I'm guessing keys are a bit like passwords, like you need a long one for it to be a good one, but let's discuss that later. You're right, yes, you do. The, the longer the better, but to a point, because then it becomes unwieldy to, to yes. your computer to handle and to store, yeah. Can I summarise what we've been through so far? Yes, please. So encryption is, you know, encryption is a mechanism for providing confidentiality, basically a way of protecting some data so that only authorised people, i.e. those who are allowed to have the key and have the key, can see it. 
and it works by taking some data and a key and using an algorithm, we know what they are from the AI episode, to generate an output. So effectively it's a recipe that tells you how to put the key and the data together to get an output. The output should look nothing like the original data. The underlying meaning is hidden, but the data is still there. And anyone with access to the key and knows the algorithm, but they're public, converse encryption, which is called decryption to get back the original data. All good? Perfect. Outstanding. Nicely done. The next obvious question then is why is encryption important? Well, it's important in lots of aspects of our lives, but especially to anyone who uses the internet or computers or mobile phones to store or transmit sensitive data. Let's consider the internet for a moment. Just just take the internet for a moment. Oh, the entire internet. The entire internet. Or, really, or in fact, any portion of it you want, really. So, Toby, is the internet safe? That's a setup. Um, no. <laughs> but like, generally, the internet is getting safer and safer, but uh, the, the statement the internet is safe is, is purely wrong because anyone can put anything they want on the internet. I could host a website tomorrow that's full of malware and give you the link and Tom can go browse to it and potentially get infected if I've got decent malware and Tom's not updating anything. And, and it seems a bit like a black hole that you connect to and I can magically get my emails, video streaming and shopping. And it, it kind of is, but it's definitely not categorically safe. If you're going, There are safe places, but it's not safe. So I suppose there's then a number of ways where the data can be grabbed when it's in transit going around the internet or when it arrives or if I accidentally send it to a bad website or is stored on a computer somewhere on the internet Perfect, so th- those are firstly great answer, thank you Secondly, yeah, the, the things you said at the end are really important, so data in transit and data at rest are terms you really often hear when people talk about encryption they're almost buzzwords actually Data at rest is basically on a, at the occasions where data is being stored somewhere or processed on a computer. So think of your laptop hard drive or USB stick. Data in transit, as the name suggests, is where you're sending data over the internet, for example, an email over the internet. In either case, without encryption, your data is potentially at risk, but especially so when it's going over the internet. Toby, we talked earlier about secrets, things you wouldn't want other people knowing. Let's take one of those things. Let's say your email address and password. Here's an experiment. Would you be prepared to write that on a postcard and send it through the post, addressed to yourself? No, that'd be stupid. They'd have access to my accounts and be able to spook me in a whole bunch of services and steal a whole bunch of things. So no, I wouldn't do that. Like a postcard, anyone could just read and see and get all my stuff. Yeah, exactly. Nor would I. I trust the postal service, the good old Royal Mail here in the UK. But I don't trust them that much. I certainly wouldn't send my bank details on a postcard. I've no idea where it goes. I've no idea who sees it. The internet is no different. It's really important to understand that when you send some data over the internet, so let's say your credit card details, it doesn't just magically arrive straight to the destination. It goes via lots and lots of intermediate devices, which root, it's called routing, routes your data to its destination. It's just like the postcard. It doesn't go straight from your house straight to the recipient. It makes several journeys when it goes through things like sorting offices and regional postal depots. Put it this way, when you send your credit card details to an online shop, that data will typically go from your laptop over a Wi-Fi connection to your home router via your internet service provider to several other internet service providers and finally to the online shop's computers, probably via several other weird and random proxies. At any point along that trail it may be possible for someone to capture it. In fact, it may be possible for someone to access it after it arrives, and this is what you said earlier on, Toby, years after it arrives, in fact. So look at data breaches of big companies. Your data made it there, okay, or the the victim's data made it there, okay, 
But if they don't store your data correctly, it can still be at risk of capture by hackers. What does this look like in the real world then? Well, as an example, I use a really simple command on my laptop to see how many internet hops it takes to go from my device, my laptop, to a Google server. Toby, have a guess how many. Um, so your laptop to your home router one. Um, that's right. No, so you, 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 your laptop to your router one, from your router to your internet provider two, and then from there to Google. So like three hops. The result was 11. 11 what? different network devices, mostly routers, sit between my laptop and a Google server. Two of them provided absolutely no details about what they were. I just know they're there. Two of them are owned by my internet service provider. The others, I have no idea other than their, what we call their logical location on the internet, their IP address. So out of those 11 devices, I own just one of them. And I can't even guarantee that's safe. So would you trust 11 random people from all over the world to pass a postcard with your email address and password between them? No. No, and nor would I. That is why you need encryption on the internet. The only way to stop people seeing your data on the internet is to use encryption. So we're going to do a separate episode on threat actors, cyber threat actors, no less. Uh, and we should explain why these people might be after your data. But I suppose, as well as them stealing their data, they could also inject stuff that we could talk about as well. So even if you don't care about what the data is, there's still they could still form an attack by knowing what you're meant to be getting and playing with it. But I suppose we're worried about who these threat actors are, who might be doing this, these criminals, or potentially governments or nation states who might be monitoring your internet browsing. Yeah, and it's impossible to really know who owns each bit of network infrastructure between your laptop and the website you're visiting. You're placing a lot of trust in the people who run and maintain those devices, and you're banking on the fact, almost literally, that they're not collecting your data as it goes through and selling it to other people, potentially coerced by other people, and you mentioned governments there. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty awful. Okay, so you talked about there being 11 hops from your laptop to Google. How do you know it's Google when it gets there? How are we verifying that identity we talked about earlier, that authentication? Exactly, yeah. This is the idea we call entity authentication that, that we mentioned earlier. Making sure that we're talking to and sending our data to the right people. The online shop, our bank, our email provider, and not someone pretending to be any of those things. We're going to cover that in more detail in the second part of this topic, but you're absolutely right. That's another really important aspect of cryptography that we need help with. Making sure we're talking to the right person. Okay, so we've talked about how encryption provides privacy on the internet, and I suppose some amount of anonymity, but you're never anonymous, really. Is there any other reason why you'd want to use it? I was thinking about why, why businesses want to use it. Like, we talked about in transit, why else? Yeah, so it, it might just not be your data, but other people's data. So many businesses store and process lots of customer data, things like billing details, names, uh, email addresses, and so on. Keeping their data safe is not just important from a reputation perspective or from a you know, moral perspective. It's actually the law. So here, here in the EU, the General Data Protection Regulations, GDPR, require businesses and organisations to implement, and I quote, appropriate technical and organisational measures to ensure you process personal data securely. If you're interested, that's Article 32, uh, and it includes encryption as an example of an appropriate technical measure, depending on the nature of, of the risks and, the, and your processing activities. Personally, I'd say if you're doing business over the internet, encryption is one of the most fundamental and vitally important measures you can have. In most cases, I, I actually struggle to think of what alternatives there are. Your own special cable. A special cable. Well, that, to be fair, that is actually an approach, is to have your own, your own 
physical connections that you have assured and are you're certain that no one has tapped them and you own all the devices in between. That is a legitimate way of doing things. I am not about to start laying my own internet cable. So Yeah, that sounds pretty expensive. Yeah, this is like, you know, governments type thing, militaries, that sort of stuff. We, we, yeah. You and I aren't going to be doing this, and nor, nor are most companies. So why is this a big deal? If your business suffers a breach of customer or any personal information, you can face a fine of up to £18 million, or that's 4% of annual global turnover, up to... Yeah, whichever's bigger as well. Say again, sorry. Whichever is bigger. Yes, whichever is bigger, actually, yeah. So you're going to get hit with a higher amount. And things that they would take into account when evaluating the fine would be whether or not you used encryption. So this isn't just a nice-to-have. In actually many cases, it's effectively the law. Okay, so this is serious stuff, and there's pretty serious reasons for doing it. And whether you're a private citizen or a business, if your sensitive data is not encrypted over the internet, and it's not encrypted at the other end when it arrives, or even at your end, there is a risk, um, in some cases higher, some cases lower, that someone else you don't want to allow them to see it could see it. Absolutely. So we've explained what encryption is, or Tom's explained what encryption is, and hopefully stressed the reasons why it's so important, and particularly more important as you get bigger and more important data. So what does this actually look like for the average person? When you're just using your phone, um, browsing internet, looking on Instagram, whatever, what's that look like? And what does it look like for a business? Yeah, what does encryption mean for you? Well, given what we've already discussed, you want to use encryption wherever you're worried about the security of your sensitive data. So this is all about the data we consider sensitive? and Absolutely. So what do we mean by sensitive? There's not much, there's only like a couple of things. Well, basically anything you don't want other people to see or access, and more precisely, data you only want very specific people to see and no one else. It might not be sensitive to you, but it may very well be sensitive to somebody else, and certainly if, it's, if there's a legislation covering it like we mentioned earlier on. It could be that you want to be the only one who could see some particular data. For example, a, a daily journal you keep on a laptop. Maybe you have some data that you only want you and one other person to see. For example, the contents of an email or a private message you're sending them. Alternatively, it could be your credit card details and billing address for an online purchase. You want the online shop to be able to see them, but no one else, at least for this transaction. Okay, so it's just people we care about? No, not really. There's more to it than that. What we tend to talk about in cybersecurity are entities. And entities is a, a catch-all term which includes not just people, but computers and systems, anything that can do something with that data. Let's imagine you run a company that has a database full of customer account details. So things like names, email addresses, passwords, billing addresses, credit card details. You want people to access their own details in the database, for example, if they need to change it. You also want your computers to be able to access the database so they can process those details for sales purposes, for example, when an account holder buys something. Okay, so we're using encryption to protect our sensitive data. What does this actually look like day-to-day for us? Let's start with some really basic data in transit. Mobile messaging apps. We all have them either for work or personal use. It's very likely you wouldn't want some of what you send over them to be accessed by strangers. Things like photos, chat messages, maybe even commercial information if if your company or business allows you to use them for that kind of thing. If so, you want to use a messaging app with encryption. Most apps will tell you whether they use encryption and maybe even a bit about how it's done. To be honest, the less they mention, the more I'd be worried. But things you're looking for are this phrase end-to-end encryption. We've mentioned it before, but it's, it's worth mentioning again. 
Yeah, and I think when we spoke about it last time, we talked about how end-to-end means if I write a message in the app and send it to you, Tom, uh, it gets encrypted on my phone, stays encrypted all the way as it chugs around the internet, around those 11 devices at Google and another 20 more, and then eventually to your phone. And no one, including the company that made the app, can decrypt it until the person who's meant to get it at the other end, hence end-to-end, gets hold of it. Yeah, exactly. Nicely done. The alternative alternatives are no encryption, which is very bad, bad encryption, which is almost as bad, or that the message is encrypted on the way from your phone to the app vendor's computer somewhere on the internet. They then decrypt it, computer analyzes its contents, maybe stores that content, they encrypt it with a different key, and they send it on to me. So basically they act as a, a, a man in the middle, um, and they, the person in the middle, uh, they, they decrypt it, look at it, re-encrypt it, and send it on. What they do with the data in between depends on the company. Some will use it for marketing. Uh, maybe you've invited me to your wedding. They might use that fact to target you with ads for wedding suits. Or they might sell it, or they might hand it over to the government. I won't name names, but these governments are well known. Yeah, and I think most of them declare what they're going to do with your data and the privacy policy. They have to with that GDPR bit, don't they? That's um, right, Declare yeah. if they're going to sell it. or So it, you can read it if you like. No, most people don't, but it will declare in there. I think we said it before, if you're not paying you are the thing that's being sold. Generally, the things you're paying, you're not being sold. Absolutely. If the product is free, you are the product. Yeah. So that's mobile messaging apps. When else why might we use encryption? Websites. Ta-da! Websites. Ding. We, cover this in, ding. we cover this in previous episodes, but when you visit a website, some data gets transferred between your computer and the computer hosting the website. Generally, it's fine. We wouldn't think of that data as sensitive. Things like, oh, give me this page. That's just a request uh, called an HTTP GET request. It's very straightforward. There's nothing sensitive about it. Where it does get interesting is when you want to send some of your sensitive data to a website. For example, imagine an online shop. In order to buy something, you'll probably submit a login password, your credit card details to make a purchase. You put your home address in for delivery, your email address for the invoice, and your phone number for the text to say it's on the way. That's not really stuff you want floating around for everyone to see. Luckily, most websites employ encryption, even actually, even those that don't process sensitive data. And yeah, I think that's because I think I mentioned earlier, like the a website is just sending code to run on your computer. If they're not using encryption, you don't know you haven't authenticated with them, so you don't know that they're the actual person you're talking to, and they could sell you bad data and do bad things to you. So we talked about it before, like the URL bar in your browser should have a little padlock on it. If you've got a nice up-to-date one, if you've got an old one, it'll say secure, but that's been phased out. So if you're definitely on the website you think you are, and your data's encrypted, it's the good things that you know if you're on a, got a website with a padlock. Exactly, yeah, the padlock. Love the padlock. Fear the lack of padlock. So if you plan to upload any sensitive information to a website, first check if it's got the padlock symbol. Happily... As you said, Toby, most browsers will actually alert you to, to sites that don't use this. They'll give you a warning that says uh, not secure and you have to like you have to really be trying to go and view that website for them to go and let you. But that's that is what website encryption typically looks like. Okay. Email? We talked about email before. We have. This is an interesting one. It was actually one I wasn't too sure of myself, but the answer is it really depends. It, it's there are lots of different types of email. There are lots of different ways of making email work. But basically, it's usually encrypted, but not always end-to-end. If I send an email from Google Mail to Yahoo, it won't be encrypted end-to-end. But if I send one from Google Mail to Google Mail, 
it will. It depends really on who provides your email and who you're sending it to. That's a very, very general handfuls. But for the most part, though, email is encrypted, but not always end-to-end. Okay, so it's probably worth thinking of email as okay for some messaging, but if you've got some special commercial document or your house purchase, it's probably better to use some secure messaging service. And there's a few things like there. Um, or actually encrypt attachments or put them on a CD-ROM, USB drive or something else, send it a secure courier or print them Like if you really care about critical things. Yeah, definitely. That's really good advice. If you can still find a CD-ROM, then, then good luck. But anything else, yeah, definitely. In fact, I say that. I've worked with organisations who still do that kind of thing. It's a good way of doing it. You're absolutely right. So yeah, and, and file encryption is what you mentioned there. is a really good example of encrypting data at rest. You can use file encryption to encrypt things locally on your laptop, on your tablet, or on your phone. So there are apps like AxeCrypt or 7-Zip that will do this. You just choose a password and then encrypt the files for you. You can then send those the encrypted file as an attachment. Note at this point, it becomes data in transit to the recipient. And just remember, if you do that, you'll also need to send them the key. Otherwise, they're not going to get to see it. So don't send the key in the same email. Maybe text it to them or send a separate email or, or use a separate channel to, to get it to them. Cool. File encryption now. Whole disk encryption, same thing? What's that? Yes. Another really strong example of protecting data at rest is, is whole disk encryption. Most devices, certainly laptops, computers, and, and smartphones, contain some sort of hard disk or long-term storage where your long-term data storage is done. Encrypting the entire hard disk means that if that device is stolen, people can't access the contents without the key. It's extremely secure as long as you pick a good key. Apps like BitLocker or FileVault 2 will do this, and they're very, very good. Awesome, and I think mobile phones now do it by default as well, which is pretty good. That is correct, yes. I'm sorry, I've not mentioned that, but you're absolutely right, yes. Yeah. So you mentioned that organisations and businesses should secure data encryption. What does that look like for them? What are they doing? Well, for any individual organisation, it depends what data is important to you. Firstly, I'd always say, if your business has a website, then make sure it uses something called Transport Layer Security, TLS. This is the padlock thing we mentioned, basically. So you're you're configuring your website to have the padlock, so when someone visits it, it's, it's right there for them to see. We'll discuss this a little bit more in the next episode. It doesn't really matter if the website handles sensitive data or not. There's no excuse in this day and age not to use TLS. It almost makes you look a bit unprofessional if you don't have it on your website. Really unprofessional. Really unprofessional. I came across a website the other day. I was looking for, I won't name the service but i was looking for someone to help me do something with my house and they had a basically a web form you could fill in um with your personal details and they would get back to you and i was like no way because you're not even using tls so all of my stuff would be out there in the clear this was quite a big company as well i was pretty surprised uh, i emailed them and they i don't know if they've done anything about it i need to check they sent me a very polite response and said it's been passed on which probably means we deleted it but anyway so tls yeah do it even if you're not handling sensitive data the next thing I'd advise to protect your sensitive is to protect your sensitive commercial data, including things like details of your business, employees, your finances, your intellectual property, your internal processes, anything to do with HR, all that stuff, especially personal cu- or personal customer data. How you do this varies depending on where and when that data is at rest. How you do this varies depending on where and when that data is at rest and where and when it's in transit. 
in most cases, you'll want some level of encryption to be implied. In the UK, there's lots of advice and guidance out there from the NCSC, so that's the National Cybersecurity Centre, uh, and the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, and on other government websites. In fact, it was the ICO's website that I pointed this company to and said, look, it's not just nice to have, it's kind of the law, but yeah. Okay, so we've talked about encryption and all the great things it does. I've heard things about people treating it as military things and arms embargoes and stuff, and it sounds like some scary technology sometimes, and there's been lots of things about terrorists using it. So there must be some bad sides to encryption. What are they? Yeah, you're right. Sadly, like any technology, especially very powerful or, or I would say worthy or good technology, it can be used for, for bad purposes as well as good. You mentioned, maybe I'll mention this in the second episode actually, there's a really good example of how certain types of encryption when they were first discovered and first started to be used, they were considered weapons, um, which meant they were subject to all sorts of um, embargoes in terms of where they could be sent around the world. So some people literally couldn't access this stuff to protect their data, which is just gives you an indication of how seriously some, some organisations and governments take this. In terms of you know, good uses and bad uses, it's sometimes it's subjective, but in other cases it's not. So some examples of where it may definitely be perceived as bad. Law enforcement, trying to find or prosecute criminals or terrorists. If encryption serves the purpose of, of hiding data or hiding the meaning of data, it's clearly a really, really useful thing for criminals to use to, you know, to, to hide their criminal activity, to hide their conversations, and, and the same is true of terrorists. So if, if, and it is the case that encryption is really good and really hard to break, almost impossible to break in most instances, criminals and terrorists using it to, to hide what they're doing is going to give law enforcement a really hard time, and they're going to have a really hard time stopping uh, or, or prosecuting these, these people for doing bad things. So that's when it becomes really, really difficult. Another, another instance, and it's the same kind of concept really, is, is for malware and virus detection. We covered this off previously where we said that you know you have monitoring systems on a network that will look for, uh, or, on a, or on a computer, that will inspect certain aspects of it and look for, for matches with known bad things. We'll say, yes, I have seen this bunch of ones and zeros before and this is definitely a virus. If you encrypt that virus and send it over the network, that, that monitoring service is going to have absolutely no idea what it's just seen. It might know that it's encrypted, but it's, it can't, without the key, it can't tell what's underneath it. So Encryption is actually a really useful way for people to um, to hide malware, to hide viruses, even to hide some of the communications that they use to control what you would call hacker implants. So when they're controlling computers remotely, they'll hide their communications by encrypting them. So there you go. There are some, I guess, bad uses for it or when bad people might use it. I suppose bad uses of any technology are inevitable. And it's probably outweighed by the fact that it does provide privacy, security and peace of mind for millions of people and actually allows us to do all the things we want to do on the internet that makes our lives so easy now. And it underpins the global economy to such a big scale. I suppose it's probably a decent offset between the small amount of bad things versus the amount of good it gives. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's powerful. You're always going to get people who abuse it, but you're absolutely right. Without it, we'd be uh, we'd be much further behind than, than we are now. We just need to manage it and be responsible with it, that's all. Yeah, and I suppose there's probably a few use cases where it's important for law enforcement to get access to certain things that need to be managed in the right way. Absolutely, and there are well-publicised cases of this, and there are, you know, between privacy advocates and law enforcement advocates and stuff. It's a really interesting debate to get involved in. Um, I'm certainly not going to come down on any side of it here. I think each case is specific, but it's a whole sort of almost a, a field of discussion in its own right, actually, how you 
how you balance uh, privacy and anonymity against uh, the right for people to be protected and safe. So yeah, it's an interesting one. So Tom, can you provide me a succinct summary of the wealth of data you've talked to us about? I'll do my best. Right, we talked about secrets and how we share them. Sharing a secret, you want to trust the person you're sharing it with, so trust. You want to make sure you're sharing it with the right person, entity authentication, and we want to make sure we're not sharing it with anyone else, confidentiality. We then talked about how encryption provides confidentiality, this assurance that only authorised people can access our data, those people who have the key. We explained how encryption uses an algorithm, so a recipe, to combine the sensitive data with a key to produce an output that looks nothing like the original data, and we can then send this to someone who has the key, they can decrypt it and they get the original data. We then talked about how the internet isn't safe. It is not safe. If you wouldn't put it on a postcard, don't put it on the internet. We also explained that for businesses and organisations, encryption isn't just a nice thing to have, it's often the law. And we closed out by talking about encryption in the real world. Messaging apps, websites, email, uh, file and disk encryption and commercial applications. Fantastic. Great job. So noting this is only part one of two, what exciting teasers can you promise for us the second part, apart from a continuing lack of maths? <laughs> a pain, it pains me. It pains me to lack of maths. Um, sure, yeah. So part two is going to go into more depth on encryption and look at some of the other aspects of cryptography uh, to kind of explain how it all works together. So here are some things I'd like you to think about before then. If I send someone an encrypted message and they, they can decrypt it with the key, but the key is also a secret, just like the message, and we assume someone is always listening. So how do I get them the key without someone seeing it? We will tell you how that's done. Second thing I want you to think about before the next one. When I go to Amazon.com or .co.uk and I put in my credit card details, how do I actually know that I'm sending it to Amazon and not someone else? This is possible. It is possible to know, and we'll tell you how. Awesome. I'm quite excited for that. Looking forward to it already. So I hope everyone's enjoyed listening to this. If you've got any comments, if you've got some topics you want to have help understanding to do with cyber, please get in touch with us on Twitter at Understand Cyber. And that's all from us today. So thank you very much. I'm Toby. I'm Tom. Thank you very much. Hi, I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to run a cyber exercise, be it tabletop or a technical adversary simulation, please get in contact with Toby via the ClearCut Cyber website where I'll help you run one for your business. An exercise can let you test your people and processes at a time of your choosing, not an attacker's, and work out how good your defences really are.